The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager, only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Welcome into another edition of the 5 Reasons Podcast. My name is Chris Whittingham. Joined as always by Ethan Skolnick. Please do subscribe to the podcast wherever you get it, whether it is on Apple Podcasts, on our hosting platform, Podbean, Google Play, or the many apps that provide podcasts. We are available on most all of them, so please do check it out, as well as Spotify. If you listen to music on Spotify, you can listen to podcasts on Spotify, including ours. Just search for Five Reason Sports. All right, Ethan, we want to start a new series. We're starting a new series here on the podcast once a week. We will be joined by the staff of The Athletic Miami. The Athletic, I'm sure, I mean, how could you not have seen uh, the headlines it is making around the country, starting to cover local sports all over the United States and in Canada as well. They have uh, pages for the NFL, Major League Baseball, the NBA, hockey, soccer. It is a terrific website covering sports and now into Miami. And the model is you subscribe. Theathletic.com slash Miami is where you can subscribe to the terrific writing covering your favorite sports teams, including the Miami Dolphins, which is where this series begins today with Chris Perkins of The Athletic, who's kind enough to join us. Perk, appreciate the time. Hey, man. Thanks for having me, man. This is this is exciting, man. We got the, we got the new gig, the new relationship going here, man. That's a good thing. Again, it's theathletic.com slash Miami. Get up to... 30% off and a free trial as well. Perk, what we want to run through today are the five biggest storylines surrounding the Miami Dolphins, the team that you cover right now. And I want to start here on our Monday episode, kind of recapping the Dolphins game. I uh, was stoking the flames of optimism by being encouraged about their upcoming schedule. But this is, of course, naturally before the two Monday night games happen. Then you look at the performance that the Jets turned in, and I think a lot of people thought that the Raiders might be a pretty easy team to beat, but at the very least, for a half, they were a credible opponent for the Los Angeles Rams. So when you look at this stretch up coming here uh, to close out September, away to the Jets, home with the Raiders, at the Patriots, this all of a sudden looks a lot more daunting. Yeah, well, you guys know I'm not a WLWL schedule guy. I don't <laughs> go down the schedule and do it like that so I will say this as far I, I look more at home and road and I look of course at the Dolphins uh the thing that I look at with the Dolphins they were able to make big plays we know about the the kickoff return we know about the interceptions the 75 yard pass 
they did allow a big play, but that that's okay. They made the big play, and um, they left you something to desire, which I think is good for that opening victory, two of ten on third downs, uh, one of five in the red zone. So I, I think that there's enough for, for there to be optimism with this team going on the road, facing, uh, you know, New England, let's take New England out of the out of the equation, right? That's 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 tough. No matter where you play them, and and up there, it's it's really tough. But they have a they have a good chance of of beating the Jets. I would say, despite what we saw last night, and and I, I think that they should have a good chance of beating Oakland because largely it's a home game against a team of equal or lesser talent. So. Um, and, and that's the same thing with the Jets, except you're on the road. New England, again, is different. So I, I really do think, regardless of what we saw last night, and it was significant with Sam Darnold, um, I, I think that the Dolphins would have had the same chances of, of winning those games. You know, when I watched that game uh, with the Jets and you watched Darnold, uh, what has been impressive since the very beginning with him uh, has been his poise. Uh, he has not looked daunted at all. By anything, and I think you go back to the way he played in his first bowl game, and then I felt like last year there was so much hype with him that there was no way for him to really live up to it, and then ultimately he didn't. And then I, you know, there were some questions about how far he would fall in the draft, uh, but he does look like the right guy for the Jets. And the thing about the Jets is that people forget is a lot of parts of that team played 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 better than expected last year. Um, you know, that, that team was competitive in a lot of games. They fell apart a little bit towards the end, but they lost a ton of games by 10 points or less where they were in those games and there would be one mistake made. So it's not, look, it's not an easy win uh, for the Dolphins, but I agree with you about something else, Perk. I, I think what you take out of that first game and our guy, Alfredo Artiega, for three yards per carry is making that point, is that there were a lot of things that went right for the Dolphins in that first game, but there were also a lot of things that they can clean up. Like, I, I feel like it's a perfect game for Adam Gase because you get the win, you can tout the team's resilience, but at the same time, you can look at the third down situation, look at some of the tackling. I think at times that was not ideal, and, and he has some things to show them on film. So I don't think we saw the best of the Dolphins on Sunday, but I think we saw enough from the important players on the Dolphins and the veterans they brought in, whether it was a Gore, whether it was a Quinn, whether it was an Amendola, uh, also obviously the rookies, particularly Fitzpatrick, that I think it gives you some hope. So that's that's the positive that I took away from the first game. Yeah, and I, I would have thought, yes, I, I would have thought the same about these next few games uh, as I do now, again, regardless of last night, but based on what I saw from the Dolphins. Look, I did think that the receivers did a good job, and I, I wrote about that on The Athletic, that if you look at their all-purpose yards, and they were without Devontae Parker and obviously without Jarvis Landry, who was straight at the Cleveland, 334 all-purpose yards, three touchdowns from those receivers. Um, they, they did a very good job. Two touchdowns receiving from Kenny Stills, the kickoff return touchdown from, from uh, Jakeem Grant. And you also had the team and Danny Amendola serving as punt returners. And that's relative because Jarvis Landry also served as a kickoff and punt returner. So it's almost apples versus apples. I didn't think that receiving crew was going to be, be that effective. I don't know if you could say that they were, you know, the Pro Bowl caliber, and I don't think any of them will make the Pro Bowl, but they, they did a very nice job without Devontae, without um, – and I, I, I uh, uh, forgot to mention the two carries for seven yards showing the versatility of Albert Wilson. So this receiving crew showed some, showed some nice promise in that opener, I thought. 
And that's something that I want to get to in our, our second point here, and that is that receiving group without Devontae Parker. Did you ever feel, Perk, like at any point in the game they were missing having Devontae Parker out there? I did not, and that's the danger for Devontae Parker. One of the storylines with those receivers is, you know, Jakeem Grant is now a full-time outside receiver. He doesn't work in the slot anymore. That change came about Clyde Christensen, the former offensive coordinator who's now kind of like a consultant, quality control, player development guy. He suggested that to Adam Gase during the offseason. Adam Gase liked it. He took it to Jakeem. Jakeem liked it. Jakeem told me he had never played on the outside, not in high school, not at Texas Tech. So this was something new. And he was saying that the two things that he needs to work on are playing against the coverages. What do you do when guys press you and try to get their hands on you and what do you do when guys are playing back off of you? The team has the speed to make it work on the outside, and we've seen that. He's got the hands now. That's something he's been working on his previous couple of seasons. So uh, that receiving crew does have another tool, another weapon, whatever you want to say, and that's not good news to, for Devontae Parker. As he, you know, his uh, uh, injury play guy, loads of potential, but – the message from Sunday, at least, and I know it's just one game, we don't really need you. We would love to have you, but we don't really need you. And I'll be interested to see uh, how Devontae responds to that because uh, that, that receiving crew put up some good numbers. Well, Devontae is a little sensitive about this stuff, and we found that out firsthand when, again, when Chris Chambers had him as the third receiver, and, and right now he's the fifth. Right now he's the fifth receiver, Perk, and, and I, I think, you know, Whittingham's made a good point here on the pod that the Dolphins acted this offseason with the moves they made as if they wanted to not count on Devontae Parker anymore. Like, everybody talked about Jarvis Landry. How are they going to replace Jarvis Landry? How are they going to replace Jarvis Landry? But to me, what the moves are about more so than replacing Jarvis Landry were how do we replace the idea of Devontae Parker, right? Like, uh, we, we, we're never going to get the guy that we thought we were going to get when he was drafted in the first round. So how do we replace that production? And when you look at the other four guys that they have, and then you throw Gesicki, I know they don't have Marquise Gray now, but you throw Gesicki and you throw Drake into it, and Gore, who's also a pretty good receiver, they have so many other options that what Devontae provides, which is goal line threat, uh, being able to go up and get the ball. Well, Devontae really didn't do those things last year. Like, I, I mean, there were many times he didn't come back to the ball. He didn't help out his quarterback. And so I'm with you on his potential, but I feel like we're talking about potential because we remember some plays he made, uh, you know, when he was in college at Louisville and then, you know, a stretch he had when the season had gotten away a couple of years ago. I, 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 I to me, I, I don't know what we're waiting on. And I, I think Stills deserves as many reps as possible. I think Grant deserves as many reps as possible. I think you saw, you mentioned it, Wilson's versatility, just having him on the field gives you another dimension. And then Amendola, as long as he's healthy, you know what you're going to get. So what do they need Devontae Parker? If he's not a true number one, Kurt, like, and I think we've decided he's not, okay? If he's not a true number one, I don't know how he helps you as a number three. Like, that would be my question with him. You're exactly right about the idea of Devontae Parker, and that's, a, that's an excellent point because that's what it is right now. We've seen Devontae, haven't we? Have, how many times, how much more do you need to see this guy? And he is still going on potential, and, and that's a shame for Devontae, but I, I think you're right, and I think Whittingham is right, that they are making up for life without Devontae Parker, and you see it in – 
how they're using these receivers. Devontae's big deal is he's a threat at all three levels, short, intermediate, and deep. He's a big body receiver. He has a big catch radius, a term that I absolutely hate. I don't know why I just used it. Um, <laughs> but he combines some, some speed and some size. And, and yes, the, the package that you've seen, you're right, uh, at times when the season has been away, when a game has been away, but other than that, it's, it's just been training camp and Louisville, I, I still maintain that just natural gifts, this guy is incredible. I mean, he's he's kind of like Michael Beasley, where just Beasley always said he could just roll out of bed and get you 12 or 14 points. But you've got to be a professional to be that more elite guy to get, in Beasley's case, 20 points a game and, and be serviceable at both ends. And in Devontae's case, to be able to stay on the field and be effective when the game is on the line. Devontae hasn't showed us that. I think that they are showing that we can live and thrive possibly without Devontae Parker. Is catch radius another uh, morale, moral victory thing? Do you prefer uh, catch <laughs> circumference? Uh, is, is, there, is there a semantical thing uh, that, that is your argument against this? You know what? This is a term that actually came up with Devontae Parker in training camp. And so, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's just ridiculous. I, I, you know, catch radius. It's, it's just the guy can go up and get the ball, right? I mean, right. Do, we, do we really and need he's a, tall. a term to find the guy that's throwing up, he can get it. That's it. That's all yep. we need to say. Now, the other thing I want to get to as it relates to this receiving core is I do feel like it is from what we saw in the opening game. You know what? You don't want to overreact to what was uh, twenty-eight passing attempts with one sack, but it does feel like there are complementary skill sets, and and I think Ethan outlined it pretty clearly: uh, the dynamism of Albert Wilson, the uh, long ball territory that Kenny Stills covers, and he's one of the best deep receivers in the league. Amendola reliability in the slot, uh, Jakeem Grant with his uh, very in, uh, incredible quickness, and also great on special teams too. It feels like there's a lot of complementary skill sets and I feel like if you bring Devontae Parker in the game there is perhaps a, a a sort of we have to get him involved we have to get him the ball and we have to maybe use the, his size to our advantage that maybe takes the Dolphins out of their game I, am, am I sort of uh sort of dreaming of a, a an ideal world in which there is no Devontae Parker and maybe you need a different skill set or do you think that the Dolphins receivers as they currently coexist complement each other I, I think they do complement each other but I also think this that Look, the idea of Devontae and what we've seen, he can only make this receiving crew better. Now, does he eventually realize that that talent? I don't know. That's the whole mystery of Devontae. But, you know, this is a situation where you can't have too much talent. And there might be some redundancies in what Devontae offers, but uh, the idea of Devontae can only make this receiving crew better if he lives up to his potential. The way that Devontae kills you is if you put him out there when he comes back and gets healthy from the broken finger and you start him over to King, and after like six or eight games, you start thinking, eh, we made a mistake. That's how Devontae kills you. So I'll be very interested to see if, you know, if it takes Devontae, let's just say, two more weeks before he comes back and the team is decent even, I wonder if Devontae gets that starting job back. Right now, I would give him the starting job back because Jakeem has like 16 career receptions, but and we're talking about, again, the idea of Devontae versus the reality of Jakeem, a guy who offers you all that speed and a mismatch once he beats the coverage. 
I'd be interested to see what the Dolphins do. There. And to me, and, and Perk, this is something you talk about all the time uh, as it relates to identity. You think the Dolphins should be a run-first identity based off the skill set that I have? I feel like their their receivers do kind of establish their passing game identity. And I, I, you must have been pleased with the with the amount of work that Kenyon Drake and Frank Gore got, and then you also throw Albert Wilson into the mix. It was a roughly balanced attack on Sunday. Yeah, it was. I, and, and I am a, a guy who says this Dolphins team – and. Throughout the Tannehill era, they should be a, a run defense team. You don't ask Ryan Tannehill to carry your team. You ask him to make timely plays. And I think that that's, that's what we saw on Sunday. A lot of other people talked about the dink and dunk passes. Oh, that's all it was, was dink and dunk. I know he went over the top a couple of times. That's what the NFL is. And, and that's what Adam Gase's offense is. That's what you see from Tom Brady. And, and, you know, I probably shouldn't even bring Brady into this conversation. But, yeah, that's kind of what the Dolphins' offense is. You're, you're not going to see a whole bunch of those passes to, to Kenny Stills deep. That's not what Adam Gase does. That's not what Ryan Tannehill does, although that was a beauty on the pass. My goodness. Incredible. I've seen from Tannehill. Yeah, it was. But, um, yeah, that's, that's what this offense is. And, and um, you know, it is a it is a offense that runs best, I think, when you are running the ball effectively, right? Tannehill's best two seasons, 2014 and 2016, he had 1,000-yard rushers in Lamar Miller and Jay Ajayi, and that, that only helps a guy like Ryan Tannehill. So, yeah, I did like the balance, and I did like what we saw from both Drake and Frank. We'll get back to Chris Perkins here in a second, but obviously, if you're following the Dolphins, you're probably going to want to bet the Dolphins, and the best place to do that is BetDSI.com. Yeah, our friends over at Miami Heatbeat were successful with their first half under prediction. Uh, I know uh, we, we tweeted out my picks this week, going three and two against the spread. By the way, Ethan, I saw that you you, you relayed in an earlier episode that you uh, may or may not have placed a wager on Florida Atlantic that actually made Scott Van Pelt's bad beats. It was uh, it was a late cover on like a fumble when FAU was up fourteen. You should have been more devastated because of uh, of how that game turned out. Stop but, talking about this. But Stop all all of these gambling travails can be had at betdsi.com. Be sure to use the promo code Reason One Hundred One to get your deposit matched up to two thousand five hundred dollars. All right, let's get to point number three here, which is something you also mentioned earlier, which is the red zone offense. Now, you kind of can leave it in terms of, well, there's some positivity in that they were moving down the field and got in the red zone a couple times and didn't score. I'm, I'm a fan of any decision to go forward on fourth down and one. I'm a... This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. What's the first thing you'd do if you had an extra hour in your day? Go for a run, take a nap, maybe check the stats of the latest Miami Heat game? I've got a better idea. A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. The question is time for what? If time was unlimited, how would you use it? The best way to squeeze that special thing into your schedule is to know what's important to you and make it a priority. Therapy can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it. I've benefited from therapy. I went through some life changes, major life events, had some difficulties, wasn't a believer in therapy, but it helped me and it can help you also. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. So learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Miami Heat today 
to get 10% off your first month. Again, that's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Miami Heat. Porter, and I'm here for it. I thought Ryan Tannehill took too long to throw that ball to Drake in the flat. And then the fade pattern to Gesicki is another one where if you got eight inches on a guy, he's a much bigger athlete, much better athlete, then I'm, I'm okay with at least taking a shot on it once it just was poorly executed. So when you look at the Dolphins' inability to score in the red zone, this is actually an area that they were really good at last year. I think they were fifth in the league in terms of converting those opportunities into touchdowns. They just didn't get there very much. Uh, but when you look at what ended up failing in the red zone, do you feel like this might end up becoming a problem for the Dolphins? I, I, I don't think that it will be. I, I thought of the one where he went to Kenyon Drake, and, and I haven't gone back to, to rewatch the game yet. I went to the beach this morning. Sorry. Um, but um, I, I thought that he was looking at A.J. Derby deep middle, kind of going for a touchdown. And then uh, then he checked down to Kenyon Drake, and it, and it was too late. On the other one, to Kasicki, what Adam Gay said yesterday made a lot of sense. The ball slipped out of Ryan Tannehill's hand. Now, I know that Gase always, always, always defends quarterback, but here's why I think it makes sense. You have 6'6 Kosicki against 5'11 Malcolm Butler. Whether you want to say there was a miscommunication on whether it was going inside or outside, there's no reason for Tannehill to miss low. You want to throw that ball high wherever you're giving it to Kosicki so that he can use that jumping ability, right? That athleticism from, from football and volleyball and basketball, and that throw was clearly low. So, I could believe that, that the ball did slip out of Tannehill's hand. But look, and let's not ignore the other part of it, though, because, again, I have not gone back to rewatch the game, but it appeared to me live that the Sicky, the rookie, got manhandled by Malcolm Butler, the veteran, right at the line of scrimmage, and, and uh, there was the last man standing, and he would have made a run at that pass wherever it was. But I do believe that um, they will have a decent, a decent red zone attack Kasicki will wait and see. I know that there was one play where they double teamed him uh, coming off the line of scrimmage. So that's a that's not a knock on Kasicki. That's a sign of respect from the Titans. I thought that that was a, a, a interesting way of, of defending a kid who really hasn't showed you anything yet that you double teamed him and didn't even let him off the line. But they do seem to have some tools and some weapons in the red zone. I think that they'll be effective, but. I think this also goes with finding your identity. Are you going to be that sledgehammer run it team? You had a chance to use Frank Gore on that fourth and one, or are you going to kind of be this passing finesse type of team? I think once they find their identity, that helps them tremendously. Perk, I'd like to see them run the ball more in those spots. Uh, I'd like to see them run the ball more late in games when they have leads. Uh, th that's my one criticism of Adam Gase is that, you know, and you and I talked about this because we're on the radio together, but he relented mm -hmm. with Jay Ajayi, um, you know, because mm -hmm. basically that's what was working and he went with it. And I just feel when you look at this roster, we can talk about the receivers and, and I like their group. Like I, I feel, you know, they have a lot of B, B minus to B plus players there that they can move around. Um, and and I, I think they're more versatile. I, I like the diversity as opposed to going to Landry for eight yards every time. Like I, to me, this is it's a better group for them to have whether or not Parker's part of it. But the group I also like is the running back group a lot. And I, I th and Kenyon Drake to me and we talk about I love Kenny Stills, but Ken, Kenyon Drake is their most dynamic offensive player. And I, I want the ball in his hands more often, whether it's as, you know, a swing pass or or, you know, one back set, whatever it is. OK, get him. 
uh, more opportunities. And then, as you mentioned, you have Gore, who I thought looked great in the first game, considering how little they'd used him during uh, during the preseason. It looks like that worked. So I, I would like to see them utilize those two guys more often. And, uh, you know, Gase's whole new wave philosophy about this, which I know is where the league has gone. I get it. But he has assets in his backfield. So when you get to the three, use them, uh, use them. You don't. I mean, yes, Gesicki can be in a mismatch situation, but, um, you know, Tannehill has been up and down over the course of his career in the red zone. I'd like to see them run the ball a little more. So that that was, from a play-calling standpoint, that was really my only disappointment uh, on Sunday. Yeah, and I'll, I'll, I'll be interested to see how Dow Loggins, the offensive coordinator, plays into this. They, you know, Clyde Christensen used to joke that uh, when he was offensive coordinator, it was his job to remind Adam Gase to run the ball. And so we'll see what, what Loggins, um, what, what he's able to convince Adam Gase to do. Adam Gase, of course, is the play-caller, but... Dow had good running attacks in Chicago, and and um, I, I think that he would probably prefer to run the ball a little bit more. But Adam Gates, as you said, uh, Ethan, and we've talked about this, you're right that his first year he had to relent to JFI. I mean, the dude rips off back-to-back 200-yard games. You've got to change. You've got to follow that lead. And then last year he has Jay Cutler, so he's really not able to implement his offense. So. Yeah, I, I, you know, we talked about this. If, if the if the running game is the better way, if it's more effective, will Gates go with what wins, or will he be stubborn and say, "I'm going to do it my way. This is my passing offense." So, um, right now, I, I, I would say we still don't have a good glimpse. Although you could make an argument based on game one that uh, he's going to pass the ball. These red zone issues do come down to, for me, a lack of precision uh, from Tannehill at times on the day. I thought he was kind of gift-wrapped a lot of throws, and I feel like as the season goes on, that might diversify a little bit, and Adam Gase gives him a, a bit more free reign. Although you saw it in the second half when uh, he was letting it rip downfield, had uh, one that was nearly picked in the direction of Jakeem Cran, then obviously the touchdown to Stills. But uh, I feel like as these things become a lot sharper, I mean, Tannehill hadn't played a game in the NFL more more than 600 days, so I feel like this stuff will come along. Uh, we, we haven't really talked much about the defensive side of things yet, and that's where I want to go for part four, and I want to start first with the run defense. Now, you look uh, on, on the day, Deion Lewis ended up with some decent stats, but when the game was really being decided, I thought that the, uh, that the Dolphins' run defense was really good, and I was probably, if you're looking at the area where they were most likely to be weak, it would have been that for me. Le- letting Indomit and Sue go, not adding a ton in terms of the linebacking core that would allow them to be much better in this area. And yet, it was a total collective effort. They shut down Derrick Henry and, uh, for the most part, held that run game in check. How did they do it, Perk? I, I thought they did a very good job. You're exactly right because I thought that that was a huge, huge area of vulnerability. I was pretty impressed by the two youngsters up front, Devon Godshaw and, and Vincent Taylor. Taylor with four tackles and Godshaw with three. They were both active. These are two guys who you don't think that they're necessarily going to develop into multiple pro bowlers in their career, but very solid NFL players. That's that's what they're tracking toward right now, and, and that's two wins in the draft. Uh, these guys are, are good rotation guys. You, they flash every now and then. You'll remember seeing them. You'll, oh, yeah, Vince Taylor made that play. Vince Taylor made that play. You don't say that about um, about Akeem Spence just to put a name out there all the time or William Hayes all the time, but these two kids seem to flash. We'll see long-term on the on the defensive tackles. I'm, I'm still a little bit skeptical and, and hesitant 
the linebackers, I, I think, still need some work. Uh, I didn't, I didn't notice uh, Rayquan McMillan a whole lot out there, but look, he's young, and those defensive tackles also are young. Um, I, I'm still waiting to see, but you're right. They did it. They were very effective uh, at, at times when they needed to be. Tennessee, uh, 29 carries, 116 yards, right, uh, four yards per carry. The Derrick Henry, you know, run that was wiped out by the hold. I, I don't know what the defensive line's role uh, in that run was. And, and, again, it was called back because of a hold. So, uh, but, um, yeah, I thought they did a good job. And, look, one of the things that you worry about uh, with this defensive line is, are there enough quality players against the run? Cam Wake, we know he can rush the passer, right? And, and the same with Quinn. Uh, but, you know, these other guys, you know, Akeem Spence and, and Devon Godshaw and Vince Taylor and, and William Hayes, um, there are questions about how good they are against the run. William Hayes is a run stopper, a run stopping defensive end. But uh, you, you do still wonder rotationally and long term how good they're going to be. But Look, uh, after one game, I'll, I'll give them what maybe a B minus. I, I thought they did a very good job. Yeah, I thought they did too. And you know, I, I you look at their next couple opponents again. I know we don't like to play the schedule too much, but the Jets and the Raiders don't have elite runners. Uh, I'm looking at their schedule, and and there aren't a ton of elite runners there in the first eight. And I actually thought Isaiah the tennis... Crow looked like one last night on that touchdown, though. My yeah, God, he flew yeah, up that sideline. He, he he did, and maybe getting away from Cleveland will help him. Um, but but you know, when you look at their first eight weeks, there aren't a ton of those guys on there. I actually thought that the combination of Derrick Henry and Deion Lewis would give them the most trouble because Lewis Lewis can be slippery, you know, out of the backfield as a as a pass catcher too. We saw that a little bit later in the game. So I think they're going to be okay there. I, you know, look of the three guys that, that were, they lost Sue Pouncey and Landry. I did think Sue was the biggest loss. Uh, Cause again, I think you can replace Landry's production pretty easily. And you know, when I looked at Pouncey, he was never healthy. So I, it just, it was hard to really, I felt like they got an upgrade bringing sitting into the middle of that line instead of Pouncey, but Sue was the one you worried about, but we keep going back to this. And, you know, Chris and I, you and I talked about this many times on the radio too. Like, they weren't good against the run with him. So so something needed to change there anyway. And if they just get better linebacker play and better awareness from their safeties, I mean, one of the things that they have now is, you know, they're playing Minka as really their only high safety, um, but they have Rashad Jones and they have McDonald. And so both of those guys are very effective against the run uh, or McDonald should be. I mean, certainly Rashad is. And so by having defensive backs who are effective against the run, um, I, that will help them too. So it's not just about the linebackers as Raekwon gets more comfortable. I thought Kiko played one of his better games in a while, actually on Sunday. So I, they, I think they have enough to be okay against the run. And I, you know, I felt that, you know, before we move on to part five here, I, I felt that, you know, the run defense was where it needed to be. And I don't think it's going to be a huge issue this season. And, and let me, let me add this very quickly. I, I think you're right. I think the, I, I, Really, with that run defense, it's the big play. Like like Derrick Henry run. That's that's kind of what I worry about. That that one big run, and uh, you know that that seems to to come at a, a crucial time of the game. Or we saw the Christian McCaffrey run, second snap of the game. Uh, the Derrick Henry run would have been in the fourth quarter. Um, those are the kind of things that yeah, right off the bat or right there at the end of the game. That uh, those are really the, the times that I, I fear the big run for this defense. 
This is the Five Reasons Sports Network, Miami Sports On Demand. We now have 13 podcasts in the network posting roughly 15 times per week, all absolutely free. Find all of our shows on iTunes, Google Podcasts, or Podbean. Plus, become a member of our patron feed and you'll get even more fresh content. We are on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Here's some of what you missed last week on Balls Cast. It's legitimately dreadful watching the Dolphins, man. Like, is this, <laughs> is it worth it to be a Dolphin fan? Like, this is, this feels terrible. If you want to get involved as a sponsor or a contributor, reach out to us at number five reason sports on Twitter. Don't forget to punch five reasons in your search bar and then hit subscribe. All right, let's move to part five now, and uh, it, it's, it's just going to be a fill-in-the-blank, sort of what you leave the game with that uh, perhaps is is a finer detail that you feel like you're going to be interested in going forward. So we're each going to give one. Perk, we'll start with you. Playmaking. I, I like the, the big play, uh, the, the tendency that this team showed. I know that every team needs big plays, but I think this team needs it more than others. It, it's like a, a baseball team that relies more on the home run or – uh, a basketball team that relies more on the three-pointer. This team needs kind of that shortcut because I know they have that 12-play, 98-yard drive, which, you know, let's let's uh, give them credit on that too. But I, this team needs to make big plays in all three phases. Again, we, we saw the Kenny Steele's uh, 75-yard run. We saw the team's 102-yard uh, kickoff return. We saw three interceptions. They did allow the kickoff return also, but the big play ability and capability and potential, that's what I think was most promising for this team moving forward. I think the one thing they need in this game that they didn't get in game one uh, is pass rush. Uh, They got a little bit, but they can generate a lot more. This is the strength of the defense. And when it's your strength, and this was the, this was true of a lot of those Dolphin defenses that had Jason Taylor and Adewale Agunlie and Trace Armstrong and David Bowens and some of the other guys that they would roll out there. When pass rush is your strength, it has to show up every week because uh, the rest of the defense is counting on that. And so it doesn't put your corners in difficult situations. By the way, they're two corners. This hasn't gotten talked about a lot because they were so good. Xavier uh, Howard and Bobby McCain allowed one completion to to uh, to their Seriously? primary cover. Oh my goodness, one, one completion. Um, so That's those guys, th- yeah, those guys were excellent uh, yeah. on on Sunday, and it'll leave, it'll get easier for them too if you're getting some pass rush. You've got a rookie quarterback who's in his second game. Yes, it's a home game. Yes, he played very well in his first game. But if they can generate some pressure with their front four, and that's the group they're paying. I mean, look what they're paying Andre Branch to be their fourth defensive end, mm-hmm. right? So so yeah. I thought Robert Quinn got a little. You need Cameron Wake to show up a little bit more than he did on Sunday. I would anticipate that that happens. You'd like to see Charles Harris get involved. Uh, you mentioned William Hayes. I think, I think gave them good play, uh, especially when he moves to defensive tackle. But uh, pass rush is what I want to see on Sunday. Because if this team is going to make the playoffs, this has got to be a team that generates, you know, 40 sacks this season. Um, if, if they can right. get, a, if they can get around that number, uh, this can be a playoff team because I, I like their corners. I like their safeties. Don't love their linebackers, but you can take a lot of pressure off the linebackers by not forcing them to blitz all the time where they can actually play, uh, you know, just play their zone essentially or, and, mm-hmm. and cover. So pass rush to me is the critical thing for this defense. We'll see if they get it on Sunday. 
I'm totally with you. I don't feel like we saw enough of it. Zero sacks against a lot of reserve linemen was uh, not good enough for me. The thing that, that I want to see is more offense in the sense that they only ran 57 offensive plays, and it's not like they were done for time of possession in the way that you might expect for a team to run uh, so few plays. There were some uh, inclinations we saw in preseason that they go on, that they go up tempo. We didn't see that a ton, and I feel like I didn't really get as complete of a picture as I wanted of the offense because this didn't run enough plays. And I, I don't feel like I really have a sense for, uh, offensively at least, what their real plan of attack is going to be. When they need a big possession, they have to get a touchdown. Here's what they're going to do. Now, I like the kind of combination of everything. I like how Frank Gore ran. I like the way that the receiving core complemented each other. I want to see a bit more sh uh, show-stopping plays from Kenyon Drake, although I thought his long run of the day of 16 yards was a real fun watch. Um, I want to see more big plays from him. But I'd like to see more offense, a little bit less of the play clock, a bit more up-tempo, and let's give this a go. And I feel like maybe if this Jets offense, you know, they had a couple of return touchdowns in the game, so I think uh, 48 was probably a few too many points on the offensive performance, but if this can be a shootout and maybe those two teams will be going at it offensively, I'd like to see a bit more tempo because we didn't see it in the opening games. That would be, uh, be my thing, but uh, definitely uh, good points all around from you guys. Again, check out Chris Perkins at The Athletic. You subscribe at theathletic.com slash Miami. We'll be talking to a bunch of their writers over the course of the next few months as they really ramp up in earnest. Perk, appreciate the time. All right, guys. Let's do it again soon, man. I like it. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, Place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.